Welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Carrie. And I'm Joe. Please remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just two missionary men talking about 80s music, so give us a break. Don't mess with the missionary men. (laughs) Hello, friends. Welcome. Welcome, Carrie. Welcome to any new listeners and the loyal listeners. We found some in Renton, Washington, Belgrade, Serbia, and beautiful downtown Burbank, California. (laughs) Nice. Okay, folks, we are together live and in person in the same room. That's why you're hearing me laugh away from the mic. <laughs> we're sp- we're swinging one mic in between the two of us. And I haven't even plugged our Facebook yet, which is facebook.com slash HRT80S, and our Twitter, which is at HRT80S. Joe, how are you? Well, we've been hanging out for the last 18 hours, so I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> Carrie flew in late last night, got home around 10 p.m. We attempted to play a Buffy the Vampire Slayer board game from the 90s that she brought. It was a lot of lot of instructions. Yeah, it was. Uh, and we tried to tackle this starting at about 1030 last night. I don't know if it was the best choice, but we had fun. And this morning we went and got sodas and breakfast tacos. And so we are ready to just jump right in. I don't know why you're not giving everyone the full info. We went to <laughs> Wally's, the biggest gas station in Missouri. And I mean, it's an experience. It's a store. It's a bakery. Food, sodas, they have literally everything. And it was a great time. Yes, it was. Here's a little 80s music-related tidbit. They're always playing 80s music in there. Every time Joe goes, he gives me the playlist rundown. Well, today we heard ABC, Peter Gabriel... And then while we were getting our sodas, I didn't mean to turn you on by Robert Palmer was playing and I was moved to sing along and a woman from across the store shouted at me, sing it, girl. And I shouted back, the Sherelle version is better. Sherelle might see an uptick in downloads (laughs) in Fenton, Missouri, and she has Carrie to thank. Carrie, we have some tidbits to discuss, and the first one, I think, was brought to our attention by HRT80's listener, Peter. Yeah, there is a new Cindy Lauper documentary that is in the works. It's going to be called... Sing Like a Canary. Well, no, Let the Canary Sing. Let that Canary Sing. And when I first saw it, I was, of course, excited. You know, Cindy Lauper is getting her documentary... I was even more excited when I saw that it's being directed by Allison Elwood, who is the woman who made the Go-Go's documentary, the director of that. So you know it's going to be good. She did such a great job, and I feel like the reviews were so good, and it got people talking about the Go-Go's, and they had this new wave of popularity and relevance, and next thing you know, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So maybe you know, next year is going to be the 40th anniversary of the She's So Unusual album. I think Hall of Fame nod is in her future. She has never been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's crazy that she hasn't ever been nominated. But yeah, I agree with you. It seems like that's a big way to get the attention of the Rock Hall at this point, I guess, is to do a documentary. (laughs) And this is just one of many, you know, Peter also mentioned there's the AHA, there's George Michael, there's just so many in the works. It's an exciting time, I think, to be an 80s music fan. And, you know, we discuss these stars that are still shining 
And every now and then we have to talk about some that maybe the luster has worn off. I'm speaking of live performances. Yes. Also in the news this week, and this was sent to us by friend of the podcast, Michael, there had been rumblings on um, Facebook recently. Do you remember, did you see when friend of the podcast, Alan, had seen Bon Jovi recently and had made some comments he was disappointed? And so now we know why. There was footage published this week on Stereo Gum of John Bon Jovi in concert, and he sounds rough. Listen, I can't imagine what it's like to be a touring musician and what you have to do to take care of your voice and, you know, take care of yourself and keep your voice going for over 30, 40 years. But uh, whatever (laughs) you need to be doing, John Bon Jovi has not been doing it because it's not just that he doesn't sound good. It sounds like something his voice is physically not right. And we're not professional singers. (laughs) But one has chimed in. It was the lead singer of The Darkness, if you remember that band. It was Justin Hawkins posted a YouTube video for some reason and says that maybe Bon Jovi needs to take some more time to rest before playing more shows. And hopefully that's all it's going to take to get him back. You and I played these today to listen to him. And I was like, oh, I just don't want to shit on John Bon Jovi. But there's something happening. And maybe the people around him should be like, let's take some time off. Yeah, I think that is ultimately kind of the sad thing is that you don't want this to be your legacy. It's like if you're not in a condition to tour, then don't tour. But it just feels like if it's so bad and they're still out there pushing through it, it just feels strange. It feels like there's something else going on. But whatever. Best wishes to John Bon Jovi. Yep. Any updates or anything comes out, uh, maybe he'll speak out. We'll keep you updated. Carrie, I'm cutting the tidbit train off because this episode, we are going to do some deep dives into artists that we really enjoy. I think we have two (laughs) disparate choices here that I think they represent us pretty well. And since you're going first, I'll let you announce who is your artist that you choose to spotlight. Yes, my pick is very strange this week, and I admitted this is an artist that never charted on the Hot 100. Maybe you have never heard of him, but I just have deep affection for John Hyatt, and I wanted to talk about him. So I am bringing him to you this week. He was raised in Indianapolis and moved to Nashville when he was 18, started a career as a songwriter, but he didn't read or write music, so he simply recorded all of the songs that he wrote. He released four solo albums in the mid-70s as a country rock artist, but had no real success. He was picked up by a new label in 1979, but his next couple albums were all over the place. He zigzagged from new wave rock in the vein of Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, to soul music, back to country rock. Here is Hyatt's version of a song we have covered before when it was performed by ska group The Untouchables, I Spy for the FBI. Joe, I Spy for the FBI by John Hyatt. What did you think when you heard this one? Well, my first thought was, I have heard this. I think we have it in the attic. But now that I see that it's been covered by the Untouchables, we must have the Untouchables version Uh in the attic. Okay. 
Well, I want to start out and say, first of all, Carrie, I've known you for how many years now? <laughs> a long time. A long time. I've never once heard you talk about John Hyatt. Never in my life. How would you explain that to our listeners? I don't know. See, that's what the thing. It's like John Hyatt never comes up in the conversation, especially because we're going to talk about all of his music that was released in the 80s. But this music is not of the 80s. This music is not really of any time. He transcends genres a little bit. I mean, if you had to classify him, you'd probably call him country rock or maybe album rock. He doesn't come up in conversation with people. I'd say he's got blues. I was getting hints of blues, Mm -hmm. big hints of blues. I thought the only common thread really was his voice, which is it's unique. And as someone, Carrie, who's been standing hard (laughs) for someone with a unique voice, Ricky Lee Jones, I respect your choice and I admire it. Thank you. Now, about the song, I Spy for the FBI. Okay, I wanted to warn his girlfriend, right? Like, (laughs) he's got a camera in your house. Uh, this is all kinds of wrong. Did you know this song was the genesis of the Patriot Act? <laughs> yeah, I will say in comparison to the Untouchables version, this one is not good. It seems strange that he wanted to take this one on and he slowed it down. I mean, it was just not the right take on it, I don't think. But in 1983, he released the album Riding with the King, and this is the album where Hyatt says he put it all together. I finally figured out what I was all about and found three or four styles I like to work in. And see, that's the thing about him that's nice, is that he has the ability to do different things, like even within the same album. And it doesn't seem forced. It seems like he actually does just enjoy working in different styles. So for this album, he traveled to London to record the second half with Nick Lowe producing. And for that half of the album, he was backed by a band that included Lowe on bass and Paul Carrick on keyboards. This is a clip of the title track, Riding with the King. Okay, I know his voice is the common thread, but these two songs are so different. I was like, how is this the same person? It's got more swagger, this song. Like, I wrote down in my notes that the first song was sung by a virgin. (laughs) And this one, I mean, this guy gets around. (laughs) I like that. You're right. You're right. This is not one of my favorite songs by him, I have to confess, but I did want to include it. It's good. And this is where I think you probably are getting the blues. Like, this is very much blues kind of oriented. But it definitely does have some swagger, though. By the mid-80s, Hyatt had been dropped by yet another record label and had burned a bunch of bridges in the industry due to an alcohol problem. He got sober and found that some of his past collaborators, including Nick Lowe, were free and were actually willing to work with him to record his next album. A record label in England that still believed in him gave him $30,000, and Bring the Family was recorded in four days in L.A. The budget was so tight that Lowe and Hyatt shared a hotel room. 
That album produced his first chart hit, Thank You Girl, went to 27 on the rock chart, but there are too many incredible songs on the album to mention them all. I want to play you a clip of the opening track, Memphis in the Meantime. Carrie, this one was funky and I liked it. And then I got jealous of how many songs are about Memphis and there's none about the town where I live. It's not fair. Yeah, I can't think of any either. I mean, I can think of songs by people from St. Louis like Nellie. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Memphis has got a place in a lot of people's hearts, but Memphis in the meantime is a song that you have to play with the windows down in your car or outside by the pool or at a cookout. It's just got that party vibe, but not like party, get up and dance, like party, like you're having a great time and you're feeling yourself. You also probably know the song Thing Called Love from the album Bring the Family, although maybe you just know the Bonnie Raitt version from 1990 that was included on her Grammy-winning album Nick of Time. And you most certainly know the song Have a Little Faith in Me, which has been covered by everyone from Jewel to Joe Cocker to John Bon Jovi. Oh, (laughs) John Hyatt's version has been included in movies like Phenomenon and Benny and June. To have a little faith in me And when your back's against the wall Just turn around and you, you will see I will catch you Have a Little Faith in Me is a total classic. I think it's a classic. I think it sounds like mid-70s. That's why I'm surprised it's placed here in his chronology. I heard a story, too, about this when I was researching it. You know, he had gotten sober, and his marriage was breaking up, and he wrote this song for his wife, but then his wife ended up passing away. So it's got a really sad history, but I just love this song so much. And it's kind of one of those songs that you hear by a bunch of different people and a bunch of different places. And you might not be able, you don't know maybe that the original was John Hyatt, the songwriter. And I think he does it the best. Bringing the Family peaked at 107 on the album chart, and in the years that followed, each of John Hyatt's albums charted higher and higher. In 1988, he released Slow Turning. Instead of relying on his previous all-star band, this album was recorded with his touring band, The Goners. The title track made it all the way to number eight on the rock chart and 22 on the modern rock chart. Can you believe that? Slow from the inside out. 
you know, when the modern rock chart was first created, it probably just was like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Modern rock was spanning a whole bunch of genres at that time. Basically, anything that wasn't getting played on traditional radio probably got thrown on the modern rock chart. I did like the line, and I hope I heard it right. I didn't fact check this. So this is not what he says in the song. I'll be embarrassed. But I thought I heard him say banging like Charlie Watts. (laughs) Yes. So cute. Yeah, this is another fun one. I think you're going to see a theme with these songs, and I will wrap it up in a bow at the end about what that means to me. But let's move on to the next song, because the album Slow Turning also includes one of my favorite songs to blast with the windows rolled down as I speed down any highway, no matter the direction. It's called Drive South. Always looking for true love With our heads in the clouds Just a little off course But I left that motor running Now if you're feeling down and out Oh, come on baby, drive south With the one you love Come on baby, drive south With the one you Susie Bogus actually recorded Drive South in 1993, and it went all the way to number two on the country chart. I don't know what else I can say about Drive South. It's like whenever I hear it, I literally do want to just be in my car, just heading somewhere fun. I thought on this one, he sounded like John Popper of Blues Traveler. Actually, that was a Dave uh, notice. (laughs) That's true. Yes. You know, I hate trying to come up with genre names or whatever. And like I started off this whole segment, why are we trying to pin him into boxes anyways? But yet there is something about his music that to me, it's like summer music it's, or, or windows down music. That's what all of these Road songs are. Music. Yes, yes. But other artists recording his songs and hitting it big is a common theme with John Hyatt. He has had songs covered by so many artists over the years that have had great success. We already talked about Thing Called Love for Bonnie Raitt, and Roseanne Cash recorded his song The Way We Make a Broken Heart and took it to number one country in 1987. B.B. King and Eric Clapton recorded their own version of Riding with the King in 2000, and Hyatt actually co-wrote Angel Eyes, which was a hit for the Jeff Healy Band in 1988. John Hyatt has continued to record and release albums and tour basically without stopping since the 80s. He's got a number of amazing songs from the 90s, some of his best, like Child of the Wild Blue Yonder and Cry Love. If you want to hear an album that is just one classic song after another, you have to listen to his best of John Hyatt from 1998. This is where I discovered him. I think it was just one of those things where maybe I heard one song by him and I thought, oh, I want to get best of album and see if I like them and literally love every single song on that best of compilation and led me to getting into all of his other stuff. The version of Have a Little Faith in Me that Hyatt re-recorded for that Best of album earned him a Grammy nomination for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance. He lost to Lenny Kravitz for Fly Away. Oh, that sucks. (laughs) And also a nomination for Best Rock Song, which he lost to Alanis Morissette for Uninvited. Okay, she deserved that one. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think he should have won for best male rock performance. But again, it's you know, maybe it's not rock. It's not that he doesn't write good songs. It's about the performance that he gives in them. Yeah, and that song in particular, you can hear his heart and soul in it. So that's John Hyatt for you. I think why I thought of him in particular to talk about at this time of year is because literally when summer comes around, I think about that best of album. I think about uh, listening to it in my car with the windows down, driving around, just something about him that has gotten to me over the years. I thought I was a music fan. I don't think I have any artists that make me think of a certain season. You told me yesterday you don't really look at album art when you're listening to these playlists that you put together. But I was intrigued by his look. Do you think he looks like Nick Cave? Oh, God, yes. Now that you say that, and I know exactly what you're thinking of the Bring the Family album, which is just kind of his face shaded in uh, black and white. Yes, he 100% looks like Nick Cave. Well, I will say going into this and not knowing anything about him, I was happy to learn this stuff. I love it when artists are so respected by their peers. I mean, look at who covered his songs, right? Eric Clapton and B.B. King. How does it get better for a musician? You know (laughs) what I mean? I love when those people get celebrated, so I'm happy to do that today. I wish someone would cover Ricky Lee Jones. (laughs) I guess they did, that Australian guy. The horses? We're listening to it after this, okay. Carrie, I have an artist that I think is a little more well-known that we are going to discuss, and this act is... Eurythmics. I am doing my best to not say the Eurythmics because I believe they are just Eurythmics. I hate that too. I, that's like something on Charlie's. Like I'm always obsessed with trying to figure out like if there's a the before a band name. But at the end of the day, if you name your band like something plural, someone's going to put a the before it. I never thought about it that way. I'm just trying to respect the artistry. <laughs> Carrie, I had a few acts in mind for this episode. I didn't know how you felt about doing a Ricky Lee Jones part two. So I ultimately decided on Eurythmics after reading an interview with them in Rolling Stone recently. They were discussing their pending induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the article mentioned how they're the only act in this year's bunch that do not regularly perform live or record music together anymore. That got me to wondering how they ended up that way, but of course, we're going to start out at the beginning. We've talked about Eurythmics before, many times. I didn't go back and do the research and find out what we've said or what episode it was in, but there's some new information here. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think off the top of my head, I can only think you brought one song for like Song That Time Forgot at one point. Okay, yep. But we haven't talked about them extensively, so I was actually excited for you to do this. Well, great. I hope I can live up to the hype. (laughs) Annie Lennox grew up in Aberdeen, Scotland. Her dad was a bagpipe-playing shipyard worker, so she was in a musical family, and she began playing the flute and piano and won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music in London. But she found the school pretentious, and she quit. Started working odd jobs in London and playing music with a few different acts, and that's when she met David Stewart who was in a band that was signed to Elton John's record label, although it really went nowhere. Lennox and Stewart hit it off immediately and began a musical partnership as well as a romantic one. They enlisted guitarist Pete Combs, for the musical partnership, I mean, (laughs) and they formed a band called Catch, which shortly turned into The Tourists. They put out three albums as The Tourists and had two top ten hits in the U.K., 
including a cover of the Dusty Springfield classic, I Only Want to Be With You. Did you get a chance to hear that cover yet, Carrie? Yes. I love that one. I feel like it's been covered by so many people. I think Samantha Fox did it at the end of the 80s. So even though the tourists had some success, they called it quits in 1980. At that time, Lennox and Stewart also called it quits as a couple, but then decided to continue working together on music, just the two of them. They came up with the name Eurythmics, which is a system of music instruction developed in the 1890s that emphasizes physical response. And if you know what that means, Carrie, you're a lawyer. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. After all these years, I never thought about it. But, you know, the word, yeah, sounds like rhythm. It sounds like it's trying to get you to move. In my research, I saw some other information about it. It sounded like Annie Lennox underwent this therapy as a child. You know what I think is really interesting, though, Joe? I love stories about people that were involved romantically and then were able to continue a partnership of non-romantic manners after they break up. And I thought this was really cute that even though they decided they weren't good together in the romantic sense, they were good together musically. Yep, it's all a rich tapestry. (laughs) So they recorded their debut album as Eurythmics and enlisted Clem Burke of Blondie to play some drums on it. And what's funny is that when Annie Lennox was in The Tourists, she had platinum blonde hair, and she got sick of being called the British Blondie by the press. So that's part of the reason she sported a bright orange crew cut when she uh, was fronting Eurythmics. Anyway, the album didn't do much, and it wasn't until the Eurythmics built a makeshift studio and recorded their second album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, that they started seeing huge success. The big singles on this one are Love is a Stranger and, of course, the title track, which went to number one in the U.S., Canada, and France. In the U.K., it peaked at number two. Of course, the video was a mainstay on MTV thanks to the duo's unique look. And don't forget about that cow. You know, Annie Lennox was on the cutting edge in the 80s. You know, you were seeing Boy George and like Pete Burns of Dead or Alive were kind of bringing the androgyny from the male perspective. But Annie Lennox definitely brought it from the female perspective. And she wasn't afraid like that crew cut. She didn't look feminine a lot of the time. And I thought that was really interesting that um, she obviously was confident enough in herself and in the music to not have to be the traditional front woman. Did you ever see any of the footage from their first big Grammy night? She showed up dressed as Elvis in a jumpsuit and Elvis wig, and they even performed. That's amazing. I love that. She's great. Let's watch that and find it after this. Yes. Annie and David wasted no time releasing the album Touch less than a year after Sweet Dreams. The hits on this one include Who's That Girl, Here Comes the Rain Again, and one of the songs that time forgot (laughs) that I brought to the show, Right By Your Side. 
All of these were top 40 hits in the U.S. And here comes The Rain Again peaked at number four. That's a lot higher than I thought. Here Comes the Rain Again is one of those songs, you know, like when Napster became big or when you started being able to like get music, (laughs) you know, without buying the whole album. (laughs) And when I was trying to revisit 80s music, it was like one of the first ones I would always download. I remember it from being a kid. I love it so much. It's like this epic song. And I like it so much more than all of the other ones that you keep hearing all the time now, like Sweet Dreams. Carrie, let's put this one on the list too. The album Be Yourself Tonight. I have that one on vinyl. Let's listen later. That one was released in April of 85. They were cranking them out. Yeah. That had more big hits like Would I Lie to You, There Must Be an Angel, and Sisters Are Doing It for Themselves with Aretha Franklin, which I have to admit, when I first was hearing that, I was not into it. And now I am obsessed with it. Do you like that one? I do agree. I don't remember it as fondly as the other ones, but I do like it. The Eurythmics released three more albums before the end of the 90s. And at that point, Lennox decided she was going to take a break from the Eurythmics. I mean, eight studio albums in eight years. I totally get it, sis. That is completely nuts when you say it like that. And at the same time, Dave Stewart was like working with other artists. Yes, Tom Petty. Mm -hmm. There's someone else I'm forgetting. Did he ever work with Bananarama or did he just end up marrying one of the ladies? Oh, he did the work. (laughs) Anyways, yes, it's shocking to me that they were doing so much as a group while he was also doing other stuff. So although there was no formal notice, there was a rift between the duo at this point. And of course, Annie Lennox eventually began a solo career while Stewart did soundtrack work, produced other artists, and even started another band. The two actually didn't speak to each other for four years until 1997 when Lennox called Stewart to let him know that their former tourist bandmate Pete Combs had passed. The two eventually started writing and playing together and released their first album together in 10 years, 1999's Peace, which as of right now is the last album by Eurythmics. Their last appearance together was a mini-set at the Rainforest Benefit in New York City in 2019. Back to that Rolling Stone interview from earlier this month, the two admit that they've had their share of conflict, but there are currently no hard feelings between the two. Lennox says being in a rock duo is like a marriage, but the two people involved are strapped to a rocket ship that's been shot up to the moon. So not (laughs) enjoyable, I guess. And as far as not touring anymore, Lennox says it just comes down to being too rigorous for people in their late 60s. However, the two will be performing at the ceremony this year. So we have that to look forward to. I can't wait to see what she wears. Carrie, I need to know this. Why is life either waiting to see who gets nominated for the Hall of Fame or waiting for the performances to air on HBO? I don't think it used to be like this. Yeah, you're right. 
All of this, though, just makes me so excited to see them back together. I mean, I think I realized because I haven't seen any footage of them, but I just didn't know that it was like a conscious choice at some point that they were like, we're not going to perform together anymore. It makes me think of this year's nominees or inductees in a new light because look at all the other people who are out there performing. They are putting out stuff. They're out there. They're making the rounds, getting their name out there. But the Eurythmics are just sitting back not thinking Eurythmic-y stuff, and the members are still like, let's put them in. I do think that Annie Lennox has come back into the consciousness this year, like a lot of different people. She was posting at the beginning of the pandemic videos of her performing at home. Yeah, we should check out some of those too. She was regularly putting out videos of her performing just at home from, you know, piano. So Was it her solo or was it your yeah, rhythmic? Yeah, a bunch of different songs, like whatever. She was singing a bunch of different songs. Oh. But like with the Go-Go's, I think it's exciting when a band hasn't performed together for quite some some time and comes back together. It's fun when bands continue on too, but I think this is really exciting that this is something that is bringing them back together. I think it's safe for me to say that this is the performance I'm most looking forward to. You know, whether or not they had been performing up until this point live, I think I would still be as excited. Carrie, that's the end of our deep dive sections. Now you remember I talked about Annie Lennox's father playing a certain instrument. Yes. And last week, we talked about Scottish artists. So today, we are looking in Dave Kinzer's 80s music compendium to find songs that include bagpipes. And we talked in the Cruel World episode about how the instrument that sounds like bagpipes in Under the Milky Way by the Church is actually an ebo. And you can also hear an ebo on the classic In a Big Country by Big Country, There is one single Hot 100 hit from the 80s to actually feature bagpipes, and it is Every Beat of My Heart by Rod Stewart. This was the title track from his 14th studio album, released in May of 1986, and co-written by Rod and classical pianist Kevin Savagar. There are three different gents credited on bagpipes, Devin Dickinson, Harry Farrar, and Kevin Weed. (laughs) In the U.S., the song peaked at number 83 on the Hot 100, but it went all the way to number two in the U.K., held out of the top spot by Papa Don't Preach. Joe, I think I've already gotten a preview of your thoughts. on. No, you made a like face or something when we were talking about it sometime this week. I like it. You do. Carrie, I was not a fan of this. I mean, I know that there are going to be some Rod Stewart songs in my playlist that are schmaltzy, but I think this one is just over the top schmaltz. I can't handle it. You know what? I don't disagree with you, but for some reason, this one just gets to me. Was this one on that you've talked before about how your mom had like that Rod Stewart collection? Was this on there? It was four CDs. You do the math. (laughs) 
I agree. It shouldn't work. I shouldn't like it, but I do like it. And I like the bagpipes on it. It's funny to me that these other songs we talked about are not actually bagpipes. I don't mind them. I certainly, you know, I don't want to hear them in every song, but they're used effectively here, I guess. I'm also just obsessed with songs that do so well in the UK. I mean, what else was on this album? Love Touch. That went to the top 10. That was a big hit. I just don't understand why it stalled at, what, 83? That's crazy. And a number two hit in the UK. It actually sounds like Rhythm of My Heart, which is is his 90s. I saw the title of it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this song. Every beat of my heart is beating like a drum. (laughs) And then I was like, wait, what's happening? This is slow. Too confusing. We should look up the credits for Rhythm of My Heart. I wonder if he wrote it with the same guy, because it kind of sounds like just a variation on it. I feel like Holly Knight's involved in one of those. Oh, maybe. Maybe I'm just thinking because she wrote Love Touch. Holly Knight's got a book coming out. We talked about that this November, so we'll discuss that. There's only one other song listed under the bagpipes section, and that is the song Broken Land by The Adventures. But Dave Kinzer has an asterisk next to it, and it says that this is actually the Yulian Pipes. Well, what the hell are those? (laughs) According to Wiki, they are the national bagpipe of Ireland, and they sound sweeter and quieter than other bagpipes, okay? <laughs> I mean, the point of bagpipes is that they're not sweet or quiet, so, so they put like a silencer on it, I guess. The Adventures were a band from Northern Ireland. They had four UK hits from their first album, but none charted higher than 58. Broken Land was the first single from their second album. These times are not changing. It was the most played song on BBC Radio 1 in 1988, but it only reached number 20 on the UK chart. And it was the only song by the group to ever chart in the US, peaking at just number 95 on the Hot 100. I think it comes down to this. The US don't like bagpipes. (laughs) Excuse me, Yulian Pipes. No, yeah, I don't know. This one, there's nothing really special about it. I didn't mind it, but it didn't really stand out to me. I even said to you this morning, I was like, I didn't remember listening to it this week, and we had to listen to it again. (laughs) I heard more like flute work. I was like, I don't understand what the segment is that we're listening to these for anymore. There's definitely flutes at the beginning, and I like the flutes, but then, yeah, it kind of completely changes after that. Carrie, that concludes the bagpipe section. (laughs) Literally, there's no others, right? The only other ones listed say that they're Ebos. Well, that puts the cap on the segment and a cap on this episode. And it's a cap, like it's like that plaid cap. You know what I mean? A tartan? A tartan, yeah. (laughs) So we'll wrap it up. And I think we need to let the listeners know that there's going to be silence next week because... Carrie is going to get her own set of bagpipes. (laughs) Don't go that far. I will be scampering around the Scottish Highlands at some point, though. My husband and I, for our 10th wedding anniversary, are going on a tour of the UK. So we will be all around England, Wales, Ireland, and Scotland. 
Can't wait to hear some great stories. I don't know if you're going to go to any record shops or any live music events, but sounds exciting. And be safe and be kind to the other tourists. Yep. I will try, Joe. And everyone out there, you got to try it with me. Be safe and be kind. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.